this episode of The Letterboxd Show, we are leaving 2020 in the rearview mirror where it belongs. Hi, this is The Letterboxd Show. I'm Gemma Graysword, Letterboxd's Editor-in-Chief, and with me today is a global roundtable of podcasting superstars. Please welcome uh, in Philadelphia, is that right? Correct, you got it. Yay, uh, 70 millimeter pod host Slim. We are so delighted to have you here and to bring these two um, podcast universes together for the very first time. This is exactly like when Macho Man Randy Savage and Hulk Hogan, you know, high-fived and their rippling biceps were pulsating on screen. That's what, that's what I'm thinking about right now. I'm thinking about Hannah Woodhead all the way in Sheffield on her mum's sofa bed, patting her cat. Hannah from the Little White Lies podcast, Truth and Movies, and one of my favourite commentators on uh, the Tom Hooper Cats movie ever. Hi, Hannah. How you doing? I'm good. Yeah, I, you know, I feel like I should write him a letter or something because I made a lot of money out of that movie, probably more than he did. <laughs> like, um, got a lot of work out of that. Which, you know, I, I I'd like to say it was um, intentional, but it really wasn't. It just, it just, I did a offhanded Twitter thread, and it's, it suddenly became like, you are the expert on this uh, horrible movie. Which I'm, you know, there are worse things to be an expert on. Um, but I am. Um, I actually do have a cat asleep next to me right now, so it feels very apropos. And yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm happy to be here on a very, a very international uh, podcast. It's usually just like very local for us, so this is really nice. Extremely international, and you're right. There are um, worse things to become an expert in, like the um, Emmanuel movies, which uh, brings me to Tim Bat, one half of the co-hosting whole from the Worst Idea of All Time podcast, which has the distinction of being New Zealand's most internationally downloaded podcast because apparently there's just something about two New Zealand men mentally unravelling whilst watching one bad film over and over and over again. Hello, Tim. Hi, Gemma. I like the description of me being one half of a whole because I think <laughs> like H-O-L-E is a good way to describe Worst Idea of All Time. It's like a just a, a mental, emotional whole. <laughs> Welcome everyone. I've called this episode Shit Lists and Bangers because we want to celebrate some of the absolute dross you may have enjoyed this year for whatever weird reason you enjoyed it and the utter surprising delights of your 2020 film viewing adventures. But I want to start at the bottom because as we are recording this, it is exactly today, a year to the day, since Tom Hooper's spectacular spectacular musical mayhem hit the screen at its New York premiere, which was December 16, 2019. A year on, how are you all feline about it? <laughs> really good stuff, Gemma. Really good. Can I give a bit of context to the answer I'm going to give? Mm. So I went and watched Cats at the cinema uh, for a week every day. I, I think I'm probably personally responsible for about half of its box office take in New Zealand. Mm. And Guy and I went for our podcast and we kept bringing like a selection of guests. So um, David Farrier joined us. Uh, we had Joseph Moore and Laura Daniel. Um, we went for a whole week. And I don't, there's something incredible about musicals because no matter how bad they are, and Cats doesn't make any sense just as a show generally, 
the movie from a meta point of view makes no sense like why do we want to make these cats as sexy and pseudo human as possible and spend like as much computational resource to make that happen as we can but catchy tune is a catchy tune and it really started to infect my head and guy and i if we're in the car we will chuck on you know the 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 original broadway soundtrack and sing along we can't help ourselves. I mean, have you ever seen a cat so clever as magical, Mr. Mistopheles, Tim? It's, it's a banger. You can't argue with a banger. And the thing about cats is it's confusing, it's terrifying, it's objectively a bad film, but it is filled with bangers. This was always my argument when before Cats came out. Um, a lot of people were very down on the whole idea of there being a Cats movie. And as someone who very much likes the musical Cats, has seen the musical Cats multiple times, spent a good portion of my childhood like thinking that is what I would grow up to do, be a part of the musical Cats. I was very like, no, no, it, it's got some good songs. I can understand why they would make this into a film. But then, you know, the trailer came out and I was kind of like, okay, well, this I don't understand. This I can't defend, you know? And I people, when we went to see it for the press screening, a lot of people were like, oh, well, you know, the songs are quite good. And I was like, yes, this is a good musical. It's been going a very long time. It's won a lot of awards, made a lot of money. So I felt very defensive about Cats before it even came out. And I felt like I'd been cheated by Tom Hooper. He'd made me look a fool. And I didn't, I didn't like that. I felt quite insulted by it. He made a lot of people look a fool, I think. <laughs> but he also paid your rent. So, yeah, it's a complicated relationship now, right? It really is. Yeah, I feel like we have a sort of heat relationship where he, I'm Al Pacino and he's Robert De Niro. And, like, <laughs> you know, that's our, that's our dynamic, I feel. He isn't aware of this currently. But one day... One day it will culminate under a bridge and it'll be amazing. Hannah, we could tell him because I've got a funny feeling he's still here in New Zealand. He was here for lockdown, which was not a fact that was publicised, but I found out through a friend of a friend and was trying to figure out how to make contact with the great man himself. Wait, what? That's the first I've heard of this. He's um, at least was in the South Island with his family and probably trying to stay low. So this is a letterboxed exclusive. No one else knows this. What's probably worse is he's probably trying to just still unwind and and relax, (laughs) and he's like, ah, great, I can't wait to listen to this Letterboxd podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Slim, I can't actually believe it, but 70mm Hod did go there. In, in May, right when uh, when lockdown was sort of at its at its probably most confusing and weird, when we didn't quite realise we'd still be here in December. Yeah. Um, and how was it for it you? It was bad. It was very bad. I did not grow up a big cat sky myself. <laughs> I love musicals. I I enjoy musicals. And we went in. You know, we we talked about doing a bonus episode, and I was like, oh, okay, fine. And man, it was bad. Like I didn't get it. I still don't even know what a jellical cat is after <laughs> the 90 minutes of that movie. In the the singing, the dancing, the CGI. Like I, I don't think I've ever seen a Tom Hooper movie. Like I know Lay Miz is popular and John Adams, but I don't know what the hell happened with that movie. I'd love to see like a Ken Burns documentary on the making of cats with Ken doing his thing. But yeah, it was not an experience that I enjoyed necessarily but i (laughs) um, i wouldn't but but it's become like a thing it's like a party movie it's like an experience for you and your friends to do so in that respect 
Tom did something very positive for our society, I think. <laughs> yeah, and I, don't, I think for me, it sort of gives me the fondest memory of being in a cinema before the shit hit the fan, because it really was a... Um, I mean, we'd heard it opened on the 26th of December in New Zealand. So we had six days of of all of America <laughs> and UK going, oh, my God, you guys. So we sort of knew what we were going into. <laughs> and um, Boxing Day came around and my, my sister, my big sister, my little brother and me, and we come from a, a you know, like you slim, a long line of um, musical loving family members rolled on in and there were maybe 25 people in the cinema and because I knew that this stuff had happened overseas I just as the lights went down I suddenly thought ah I'm gonna need we're gonna need consent here for what's about (laughs) to happen so so I just kind of piped up and went are we singing and then the (laughs) woman two rows behind us nervously went yes (laughs) and then we knew bless them oh I know I, I love I love the idea that in New Zealand it's like you you address the rest of the audience. <laughs> like, can we just get some consensus before we go in? Is everyone yeah okay? In England that would never. Ha- I mean maybe in the rest of England, but in London that would never happen. If someone did that, um, everyone else in the cinema would be like, "We need to get an usher and remove this person from the cinema." <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great. We had the you know we had our cell phones out with the with the. Uh, flashlight functions on yeah it was it was wild with this version of the show though you would uh the songs are familiar so you start singing them but then you see what tom hooper has created visually (laughs) and you'd probably like stop in your tracks mid-song be like whoa jellical hold on how come i can see what should be a butthole on that cat everything else is so hyper realistic the ears the ears i mean the thing is i i you could Google what a jellicle cat is, Slim. You I could... refuse to. I, it should have been explained to me in the movie. I refuse to have that in my Google search history. But I did not have to, and Hannah, you probably didn't either, because I think there's something, there's a little bit of forgiveness involved if you're a, like at all a T.S. Eliot fan. Mm. It stands for, shall I tell you? Do you want to know? Shall I just right, tell I'm you? Ready, I'm ready now ready? to learn. Okay. A jellicle cat is a dear little cat. That's it. <laughs> That's it. I still don't even understand it. I'm, I'm like, I'm getting like, like I'm sitting in front of the movie again. Like, what is Just tell me what a jellical cat is. I don't know why I need its own name. It's just a cat. That's what it is. Yeah, well, a cat is not a dog, all right? Don't get against it that much. But this will mean so little to people who haven't seen yeah, it. You just sound insane because you're reflecting lines from an insane show. <laughs> I think for me, I was so looking forward to it because I've been a a Cats the Musical lover since I was a very small girl and, in fact, starred as Jenny Any Dots in the very first bootleg illegal stage production of Cats in New Zealand. This is a true story. Holy Cross Primary, our teacher was a musicals lover and she directed the end-of-year production every year, which is always kids lip-syncing to some Broadway cast recording of something <laughs> in costumes that our parents have made for us. In this particular year, her son had gone off on his big overseas experience to London and he'd, and it was the year that Cat started and the year that the, the um, original cast recording came out. So he, he bought the LP 
but then that's too expensive to ship to New Zealand and whenever it was. So then he taped it onto a C90 cassette and posted that to his mum. She brought it into our classroom and played it to us and said, and so I think this is going to be our end of year production. (laughs) And we did. So I've been obsessed with the musical ever since. Uh, Angry, enraged at my parents for the fact that they saw it four times on stage in four different cities in the world before it even ever properly came to New Zealand. When I finally saw a production in the 90s in Auckland, uh, the thrill of my life, the thrill of my life was that a cat climbed on my seat. Anyone who's actually seen the live musical will understand what I'm talking about. Hey, Hannah. Yeah, yeah. I right. had one. I was in the aisle seat when I saw it when I was like six. And I thought it was yeah. the most incredible. I thought all theatre was going to be like that, which was a <laughs> massive disappointment afterwards. <laughs> all theatre was going to be the rum tum tugger in a skin suit. <laughs> Pouncing on your seat. Imagine my disappointment when I went to see the Nutcracker the year after. I was heartbroken. <laughs> I was like, why aren't they in the audience? Like, yeah, why aren't they coming on stage? <laughs> so then lockdown rolls around and I thought, well, mum didn't get to see cats at the movies because she was babysitting while I went with my siblings. So I'll sit down and I'll show it to her. This is a woman who loves the musical. She's seen it on stage a million times. She's going to love this. Love this. It was the worst thing I ever did lockdown <laughs> with my mother. She sat there and she sort of started off all quite keen and then it just got, she got darker and darker and darker. The things that came out of her mouth, it was it was wild. And she turned out to be a um, James Corden and uh, Rebel Wilson defender. Wow. She said, uh, these are her exact words, I thought it was vulgar and cynical and teasing and downright mean that they made Rebel and James do those characters that way. It was disrespectful to the characters and the actors. She's not wrong. She's not wrong. Absolutely. That's, I think, a very astute observation. Then she said, I love you and I support you as my daughter, but I'm going to go over there and vomit now. (laughs) And then she she said, is it a ballet? Is it a musical? Is it a beautiful poem? Decide. Make a decision. And then she finished with, don't ever do that to me again. Juma, you should have swapped me out for your mum on this (laughs) podcast. Oh, yeah, true. She also, though, sang along with every song. So... This is the this is the conundrum of cats, uh-huh. right? And, I think um, the real conundrum of cats is that it cost a hundred million dollars <laughs> in several very famous people's careers to make. And I've just checked the global box. This is a year after it's been released, seventy five point five million. It's hard to not make your money back through Hollywood accounting these days, but Tom <laughs> Tom Hooper pulled it off. I mean, like Les Mis made about half a billion at the box office, so yeah. that's like. That's bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like when that's what your last kind of like big film was. It's it's just embarrassing. It's so embarrassing on a like a a massive scale for not only him as a filmmaker but everyone involved. Like from the costume designers to the choreographers to the CGI. It's just every single person messed it up. <laughs> and mm-hmm. that's what I, I, we talked about this, Gemma, when I was um, writing about the film. Like that's one of the reasons I love this movie. It's just such a an amazing display of incompetence that we don't often get to see we don't often get to see someone get it so badly wrong and i do get like a perverse sense of schadenfreude like watching that in movies i'm like wow you really really messed up on this one not just a little bit (laughs) totally messed up i think that's incredible Did any 
anyone come off well? Like a year on, <laughs> is anyone in that mix sort of lining up for the next big job as a result of being in that shitstickle? I mean, I think Taylor Swift's recovered very well, but I wouldn't, I, I would say in spite of cats rather than, because she, she kind of comes in for her one song and does what she does well, which is sing. And then she leaves again with as much drugs around. Yeah. Her little catnip thing. I'd got some, I think some of it I've blocked out. Like it, it was so kind of scarring. I just, there are bits I can't remember. The other day I was watching a clip from it and it was the bit with Rebel Wilson and all the cockroaches. And I was like, oh my God, I completely forgot about this. Terrible. And there are so many moments where you're just like, I can't believe this made it in there. I can't believe they thought this was a good idea. Idris Elba in his, his bodysuit <laughs> prancing around town. Oh my goodness. Idris Elba in the fur coat and yeah. then the reveal. <laughs> The reveal of the other fur coat. <laughs> if you haven't seen it, it was very confusing because Idris Elba's McCavity, hyper sexy cat, like the most, the cat that you would most want to sleep with by far. And he pulls off what we thought was his skin. And a couple of cats do this and like reveal another. And he's wearing like a fur coat the whole time. You're like, is that some sort of sick? It'd be like me wearing a human skin. You know, it's quite messed up when you start to analyze it. <laughs> Look, in the interests of, of uh, moving moving us on, um, I did poke around in the letterboxed statistics uh, basement and um, wanted to, because well, there's this great fact about cats. There's this great fact. I mean, as a winner in one respect on letterboxed, are you ready for this? Mm -hmm. It is officially the lowest rated, most obsessively rewatched film of 2020 among the letterboxed that. community. Amazing. I love that. And um, among the obsessive rewatchers, and these are members who have watched the film five times or more since oh, it came God. out, it has the largest ratings bump between the Letterboxd <laughs> average, which is 1.8 out of 5, and, and you know, their rating, which is in the high sort of 3.7s out of 5. So that's like, that's a huge ratings bump. There is no other low-rated but obsessively rewatched terrible film that has that I much of a bump. I think this gets to what Hannah was saying, like a slight reframe of it is they really swung for the fences with this movie. <laughs> they were so ambitious with what they were trying to do. Did they achieve it? No, but they made something super interesting. And I think that people were so oversaturated these days with like Marvel movies, Disney like can do no wrong. Everything with huge budget is now so insulated from failure it's got such incredible genius minds working on it that it, it's just amazing to see something at this scale that got it so <laughs> wrong and it makes it really novel also down in the stats basement i i had a poke around at what the lowest rated films from 2020 were and Compared to uh, years that have gone before, it's been quite the year for films rated one star really? out of five. So we've got, the, at the very lowest end, we've got 365 days, that Italian thing at 1.1. A Bruce Willis vehicle called Hard Kill, which got 1.3, <laughs> with the tagline, Take on a Madman, Save the World. Uh, we've got Kenneth Branagh's Artemis Fowl, The Less Said the Better. Mm -hmm. The Devil's Mark, also 1.3. Making a late play for Worst of the Year, Dr. Seuss's The Grinch Musical, 
Oh. Anyone seen it? I got an app for that on my TV. I almost watched it. I was so curious. Yeah, starring the usually not too terrible Matthew Morrison as the singing Grinch. And then a few others, I'll just run through them and um, then I want to hear about yours. Uh, some film called Money Plane. I guess it's about money on a plane. The 1D fanfic that's hilarious for all the wrong reasons after we collided. The Michael Bay produced Pandemic Cash and Songbird. The Kissing Booth 2. Ouija Shark. The Nick Cage Vehicle Jiu-Jitsu. Uh, the movie about <laughs> David Bowie that has zero David Bowie songs in it. A new American Pie Universe film. And anyway, many more in the one-star range. So it's actually been a, a great year for terrible films, which mm. seems entirely appropriate for 2020. Uh, and this great review about the Bruce Willis film Hard Kill from Matthew L. Brady. If you look at the poster and focus your attention to Bruce Willis's face, blankly staring off into the distance, it looks like he's hiding a mouse in his mouth. <laughs> need to watch that movie ASAP. Yeah. Anyway, um, Slim, I, I want to hear about uh, your worst viewing experience of the year. Oh, God. Um, I think, you know, the first thing that jumps to mind is... My, well, first of all, to give some background, my son watches YouTube constantly. He's uh, about to turn 10. So he gets all these sorts of ads for movies that otherwise he would never hear about or want to watch. And he came to me one day and, and said, Dad, we need to watch The New Mutants. And I was like, oh, God, no. And I grew up like a comic <laughs> fan. And I've, I've, you know, I've been aware that this movie has just been so delayed. And I had zero desire to watch it. But he would not stop asking about it. So we watched it one day. And it is really bad. I gave it one star. Anya Taylor-Joy, who plays Ileana, is having, like, I guess a moment, you could say, this year with uh, her Queen's Gambit stuff. And Emma, period. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. And I haven't seen Queen's Gambit. So as I'm watching this, I thought she was terrible in this movie. Like, I couldn't believe what happened. This, this reminded me of, like, Cat's kind of spectacular <laughs> failure. Like, everyone on set, the director. Anya is really just annoying in this movie as this character. I don't know if her director was just like goofing around, make her as annoying as possible, but it's really bad. Like if you grew up watching or reading comic books, steer clear. If you don't, if you've never read a comic book, steer clear of this movie. It's very bad. It felt like initially the trailers were like, this is going to be a, a mutant horror movie, um, which I thought was like a really cool idea for them to go outside the box, but it's not that. It's like a TV. It's like, you remember how like Fox used to have those TV movies at like Friday nights at nine o'clock? It's really bad. But that's probably my lowest rated one. Uh, I'm not sure if you guys have seen Nubians. I'm guessing not. You probably don't want to torture yourselves that way. Slim, are you aware of the like production history of this movie? Because I swear it was supposed to come out like four years ago or something. It was. They went back, I think, for reshoots like four times. And they were just going to, they were thinking about just, just putting it out on Hulu one day instead of just like, you know, ditching theaters. But they ended up putting it out. This is like one of those movies I was like, maybe you shouldn't have put it out. Maybe just keep it in the can for another round of reshoots in a few years, uh, but not good whatsoever. Important question. What was the 10-year-old's verdict? He loved it. The worst part was, well, this, he loved it. That's not the bad part. The worst part was when I, he listens to the, the podcast that I do, 70 Millimeter, and I didn't tell him that I didn't like it. So he listened to me say that I hated it. And the next morning, he like comes into my room and he's like, Dad, you hated New Music? <laughs> I like didn't even know what to say. I like broke his heart in hiding my disdain for the movie. And I was like, it wasn't my favorite. He was not happy with me that morning. Hannah, have you had some spectacular stinkers that you have nevertheless loved this year? 
I have. You know, I, I actually think like I've been watching less bad movies this year because usually in my capacity at Little White Lies, I will watch, I'll go to the cinema a few times a week. I'll watch screeners a few times a week. So I watch a lot of movies. Whereas this year I've been able to kind of take a step back and really like just watch things I'm interested in for whatever reason. And um, I, earlier this week, I put out a question to my Twitter followers um asking if there were any bad movies they'd seen this year that they would not nevertheless recommend that they enjoyed watching and um one person recommended that i watch the um uh has fallen films you know with gerard butler (laughs) (laughs) and and i these are films that i've kind of always like known exist but never really had any interest in and he said no no watch the three of them and also watch white house down which was the channing tatum jamie fox film which came out at the same time as olympus has fallen like within months of each other they came out and apparently white house down was the slightly better film but was the one that kind of no one ever remembers happened so anyway it was not terrible i enjoyed that one it was not terrible you know what pretty good movie i have to say charming movie channing tatum jamie fox really good energy together would love to see them do like a buddy comedy i think they'd be great like jamie fox is the president coolest president that ever has existed in fiction maybe like you know i i had a good time with it Oh my God, that's President Sawyer. As a rocket launcher. Well, there's something you don't see every day. But so I went and watched the um, Angel Has Fallen movies. Over the course of 24 hours, I watched all three of them whilst I was wrapping all my Christmas presents. And you know, like, I can't say they're good movies. They are not, like, well-made. They are very, like, the politics of them are just awful it's all kind of like fear of the other and that very like uh, specific american action brand of like foreign people are going to try and kill americans <laughs> like you know xenophobia that I, th- I thought we kind of moved away from in recent years but apparently not but i was strangely compelled i found myself like i was watching the second one it's quite late at night and london has fallen is one of the most like unexpectedly violent films i have ever seen and i love a good violent film you know i love a horror movie but this was just like it it really was like watching a car crash because it was horrific but i could not look away there's a whole sequence where london is london falls at the beginning and all these world leaders are like decimated in the space of about 10 minutes and it's like final destination style like kind of zoning in on like oh yes and here's the uh prime minister of japan like brutally dying in a bridge accident <laughs> i was just like this is horrendous but i cannot like i can't say i'm not like having a good time watching it because i was like very kind of glad i'd seen them I, you know i i can't i can't quite explain it because we've been you and i Gemma, had been talking about you know the whole kind of science behind like why we watch bad movies and then I went away and watched them. I was like, this this is like defies all logic. I know that what I'm watching is bad, but I can't like I can't help myself. I can't like luck away from it. I can't turn it off. I'm compelled to find out what happens. And by the time I got to the third one, I was like actively enjoying myself. I was like, yes, like Nelson, please tell me more of your nefarious scheme to overthrow the president. I was like, I was genuinely quite and there's I then I found out there's a TV show coming and there's more movies. I have been become like a convert i am like <laughs> a fully paid up like jared butler fan now which is not a Hannah has fallen. <laughs> <laughs> this is a beautiful thing it reminds me of a 
some famous painter I once talked to and I was like, and what do you do? Like what sort of novels, what kind of poetry do you read in your spare time? And he said, oh, every night I put my paintbrushes away and watch the most violent, most masculine action <laughs> film I can find on Netflix. And that was I his thing that. while making these beautiful Buddhist kind of you know, impressionistic paintings by day. The duality of man. <laughs> I will say that my son, I, I think I watched the first one of these with my son and he was like jazzed. I think that they might've been too violent. I think we might've stopped after that one, but it's funny growing up, like you remember like the Schwarzenegger action movies and all his like, you know, like they didn't have series, but like outside of Fast and Furious and like the Marvel movies, there aren't really many old school, like, successful action movies and this is a series to boot so it is pretty funny to see that like you can get entertained by these movies and you know what you're getting into and they're successful and they'll make like a ton more so it's pretty fun to look at i'm also fascinated that that's that's what happened to gerard butler because <laughs> <laughs> mm -hmm. for me like my first gerard butler experience was some rom-com and i thought oh you know here's a hot new leading man P.S. I Love You was an yes. iconic a, a serve, as they say. And I was thinking about this whilst watching these movies. I, you know, at one point, like Gerard Butler was like the new kind of like, um, oh, he's going to do like rom coms and he's going to be this very charming, like nice Scottish man. And then he just like left turn and was like, no, I am action man. And like doing things like, like Geostorm and like all these other kind of like very they look low budget but i'm sure they could actually cost quite a lot of money um action movies where he's always the same character he's like you know the kind of um john everyman who's like a hard-faced like former <laughs> marine or something but i i do like divorced yeah always always divorced or like has a difficult relationship with his child and it's you know like i i would love you know i would love to into him i would just love to find out like what makes Gerard butler tick like what's his story like I think we're forgetting the crossroads that he went past when he kicked a Spartan into a hole <laughs> in slow motion, sepia tone, which changed everything. I think that specific shot and that, you know, that changed the entire trajectory of his rom-com career. <laughs> it's funny you mentioned Geothorn because I think that was the movie I showed my son. I couldn't honestly remember if I showed him a Fallen movie or Geostorm or... The Transformers movie he was in. I think he was in Transformers. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm imagining that. Maybe that was Mark Wahlberg. Maybe I'm confusing the two. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I love a good disaster movie, but I feel like that the ground has shifted underneath us this year in terms of what a disaster looks like. And uh, I just keep coming back to contagion again and again. I don't know about you guys, but pretty much every couple of weeks I will... I will skim through the contagion timeline to just sort of try and figure out where we're at on the, <laughs> according to the contagion timeline. Yeah. Last week it was um, the trucks rolling out with the vaccine with helicopters flying <laughs> over the top of them. It's such a great shot. And then you watch the news and it's just like some lady in London getting injected with the vaccine and it's not the same. Make it like the movies. Yeah. <laughs> Please don't make it too much like the movies. Yeah, when no, you're no. hearing this, who's in charge, don't, don't do that. <laughs> in a year of terrible, wonderful one-star movies, I think for me it was, I mean, it, there's, just, there's just an abundance. It's the Netflix effect, isn't it? An abundance of shitty rom-coms have come out and for one reason or another I think because it's the I guess the cinematic equivalent of I don't know guys undoing your fly or for me it's you know taking off my bra the minute I get in the door and just going ah 
it's that it's that it's that just a mindless kind of the princess switch switched again did not hate uh but there was a film earlier in the year that i thought would be great and it was an absolute shocker love wedding repeat did you did anyone else catch that no, or i've never heard time of it? that yeah, no, bad. There's uh, starring the wonderful Olivia Munn, and there's a moment in that film where she's at the bar of this wedding, and she just turns to the bartender and says, "Shots." Shots. 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 She's saying shots. Get this lady a shot. And then just starts doing shot after shot after shot, and I thought, is that is that the writer's way of saying help get me out of here, or is it? Or is it the director's way of saying, how, or was Olivia suggesting this will be a really good scene for me to do at this point in the movie? But anyway, for me, that that scene encapsulated that that absolute piece of crap. And I'm so I'm so fascinated by how we're in 2020, and we're somehow still producing such terrible rom coms when you know the whole world is gender fluid and poly and having an awesome time. And these are not these are not the films we want to see about romance. It feels much rarer to get a good rom-com than like a good action movie or a good musical. It feels like a good rom-com is really like, you know, people stop in their tracks and they're like, I can't believe it. Finally, guys, we found one. Like it's, you know, and I, I'm with you. There, there are a lot of very bad ones out there. I felt I, I kind of moved the opposite direction. Well, I mean, obviously my obsession with the Fallen movies that has developed is like testament to that. But I got really into kind of like films that people had told me like were good and I just kind of was like mm, no because you've told me so now I'm not gonna like go near it and the big one for me was Showgirls which like is a, a classic of the kind of quote-unquote bad movie canon where people hated it when it came out and said it was absolutely like filth it was pornography it was you know immoral and then I watched it and I was like this isn't even bad. It's good movie. This is just a straight up good movie, and I was like, I was like fully on board with it, like recommending it to people. Like recommended it to my mom, who did not like it as much as I did. And I became like very like evangelical about how good Showgirls. It's like tw twenty years after everyone saw it the first time. I'm here like, hey guys, anyone see Showgirls? Because that's a great movie. Something like that probably I can't see getting made today. Like an erotic kind of thriller but with a little like comedic edge getting made like, like mm. i don't think hollywood's like looking for those kind of movies now but i i pleasantly surprised at how how great that was how amazing is kyle mclaughlin's stunt doubles ass cheeks oh in that movie is that for real <laughs> like i was stunned by that shot i couldn't believe what i was seeing it's also the perfect timing to see that film for the first time hannah because this is also the year that the the documentary about the film came out and about the industry that showgirls has created which is like there is a, there are live shows across the <laughs> state well there were before the pandemic um for for showgirls lovers and yeah it's it's not a bad thing at all it's good I think timing it is, it's a little bit like cats in that it did take on this like there were the very very ardent defenders of showgirls when it came out who have kind of helped this film find like this second life and it's but like the room i guess as well these films that are totally panned on release do kind of have a way of going on to actually like turn a profit in the end the room made actually a profit in the end and i think cats probably will eventually make up the rest of its budget through like rowdy screenings and you know those kind of 
everyone get a bottle of Prosecco and ab- get absolutely ripped shit and scream the lyrics to Mr. Mistopheles, which I'm not against. And I think when the cinemas reopen around the world, people are really going to be craving that kind of like fun experience. And, you know, I, as much as I love like sitting down with a, you know, a really good drama and be like, mm, yeah, this is cinema. I also do kind of love going, like paying a fiver and getting ripped shit with my friends. So, <laughs> you know, I... For, for as bad as Cats was, I'm very much happy that it exists and I'm happy that it will be there when we come out of all this. Oh, well, I never was there ever a cat so clever as magical Mr. Mustafa's. I hear you're looking for So Bad's good movies. How about So Bad's amazing movies? That's right, baby. I'm talking about Ricky O, the story of Ricky. Hey, hey, look, this is a movie that transcends quality, all right? This, this is a story worth passing down to future generations. This is a bit about a man so powerful that his punches could shatter a man's skull. That's right. This movie has everything. Over-the-top violence. A super jail. A train montage where his old mentor throws grave markers at him. A man gets choked by his own intestines. If you haven't seen this movie, you ain't living. And, you know, as much as there is to love about non-ironic value, oh, baby, there's a lot of terribleness going on. Terrible dummies, obvious special effects. It's it's all fantastic, though. It's purely committed to being over-the-top, gory fun. And, you know what? You gotta see Ricky O. This is Lou Ferrigno. Please watch Ricky O. Please, I'm begging you. I'm here to talk about one of my favorite movies in the so bad it's good genre, Faithful Findings by Neil Breen. Breen has brought us so many wonderful films in this genre. Faithful Findings uh, is his magnum opus. It has so many wonderful scenes uh, with him throwing around books, destroying already <laughs> broken computers, etc. It's, uh, it's a lot of fun and hilarious. Uh, all the way through, despite being uh, a very, very awful movie. But I love it. My favorite So Bad Is Good movie that I'm watching for this isolation, it is Sleepaway Camp. The first one is just a masterpiece, a totally must-see. I regularly recommend it. But I also want to call attention for the third one. Because <laughs> it is that kind of movie that is good to watch. Drinking a wine making a watch party with your friends, and you're going to laugh a lot. At some point of the movie, you're going to ask yourself, why am I watching this? What am I doing with my life? And I guess that's the whole point of the So Bad is Good movie. It doesn't make any sense, <laughs> and you feel such a waste of time. But you can have fun at them, and you can laugh a lot. Well, that is a perfect moment to move on and uh, flip things on their head. And and in the um, magical language of 70mm pod, let's talk about your five bangers, your favourite five bangers of 2020, the five-star out-of-the-box films that uh, that snuck up and surprised you. They can be from this year or they can be first-time showgirls, watchers, for example. But I'd, I'd love to hear what's uh, what stayed with you since the beginning of the year. Tim, should you go first since you got a jet? This is very thoughtful. Thank you, Slum. Um, I have uh, taken the liberty of of um, giving these awards some names as well. 
So my first one is the Jacques Cousteau Award for a guy who I absolutely thought was going to try and have sex with sea life, and that was my octopus teacher. A lot of people say an octopus is like an alien. But the strange thing is, as you get closer to them, you realize that we're very similar in a lot of ways. <laughs> Which was yes. moving, surprising in so many ways and delightful and truly mind expanding in terms of the sort of, um, I think you call it anthrop anthropus centric view that we have of the world, where we think that humans are the boss and animals are just animals. Absolutely not. If you're kind of on the cusp of being a vegetarian or a vegan, this is one of those movies that could really tip you over the edge. But I absolutely thought that guy was going to try and have sex with that <laughs> octopus. Most of the movie. That tiny lady octopus. Yeah. I, that's funny. I'm glad you mentioned that because I can't stop thinking about that film. And actually, um, that's my award is, is the costume of 2020. And it's the, it's the shell disguise oh. goes to the octopus and my octopus teacher incredible this won't mean anything the name of this award to people outside new zealand but the roger hall award for bringing a stage experience to my lockdown hamilton um a show that i saw on the west end and disney plus teamed up with uh lin-manuel miranda and released the original broadway production performing hamilton in new york city it's just incredible it's i, I really love that show a lot it's it's kind of hard to film a musical and make it cool and real and relevant to cinema, but I, I thought they did a fantastic job and I was just a really big fan of that production. The award for making me feel better about any creative mistake that I've made, Doolittle, Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it came out at the start of 2020. Just an incredible, spectacular mess. And I think really lived inside the shadow of Cats. If Cats had not come out, I think we would talk more about how odd <laughs> and misguided and bad Doolittle was. But that's incredible. If you're a fan of bad movies, I highly recommend that one, maybe when you are high. The Cynthia Nixon Award for being surprisingly political, Borat, subsequent movie film, um, <laughs> for probably being the final nail in Rudy Giuliani's <laughs> coffin. Shall we have a drink in the bedroom? There you go, my dear. Okay. You can give me your phone number and your address. Put down your crumb. She's 15. She's too old for you. Very deserved. That guy can rot in hell as far as I'm concerned. It's really, really funny, but it just says so much about where America is at at this point in time. And it won't be forever. America will move on. We all will. But to just nail a particular moment and really explore stuff that's going on, it's just amazing. It's almost a documentary. And my final one is the Bobby Boucher Award for surprising Adam Sandler performance, and that is Uncut Gems, which I think came out this year. In New Zealand. Right. It's a late 2019, but yeah, it, it counts. I, I um, completely unironically loved that film. I thought it was fantastic. The, the, the tension, the pace, just everything came together to make it a real, like, it's very easy now to watch a movie while you've got your phone up. That is a film that every frame of it commands your attention and you're just riding this like furious journey next to Adam Sandler, who is on screen for seemingly every second of the film. Honor, what the fuck is this shit? You're sending collectors to fuck with me at my office? Are you out of your fucking mind? I'm literally minutes away from closing the biggest deal of my goddamn life. And when I do, you're gonna be embarrassed. Oh, and by the way, the watch they took from me, it's worth 
$20,000. I want that deducted from the hundred grand. You understand? Call me back. And it's just this, the beauty of um, Adam Sandler and the confused, the confusing aspect of his career that he is capable of these absolutely stratospheric performances and just refuses to do them very often. <laughs> he would just like make another grown-ups movie or decide he wants to have a holiday in Hawaii, so shoot a film there with Drew Barrymore. But like every now and then, when a director can nail him down. He just, he makes these amazing movies and Uncut Gems was one of them. That is a beautiful, beautiful 2020 roundup. If you if you have to run, it's fine. We won't be offended. Very sorry about that. But this <laughs> has been a real joy. So thank you very much. Slim, Hannah, so lovely to meet yeah, you guys. Yeah. You too. How many Emmanuel movies do you and Guy have remaining to run? A little over 30, I think. We're um, in the middle of the Emmanuel in Space uh, series at the moment, which was seven TV films that were made in 1995 with Krista <laughs> Allen, um, who people might know from one scene in an elevator from the movie Lie Lie with Jim Carrey. She's, she is Emmanuel for seven movies. So, um, yeah, worst idea of all time if that takes you fancy at all. <laughs> Has there been a point where you've gone, well, we have to stop? Yeah, the first one. <laughs> Always, just like every other season of this podcast that we've done. Thank you. Thank you for your hard work. Tim Bat, it's been an absolute pleasure. Slim, let's move on. <laughs> I I don't have fancy names uh, for my year in review. And I actually do my I usually do a year end list on Letterboxd of my faves. And I include movies that I just haven't seen before in that year, just because I don't usually go to the movies that often, so this year was kind of different. I went into the backlog a lot. But some of my favorite movies, obviously, from this year were, was a recent one, which is His House on Netflix. I don't usually gravitate towards, like, Netflix original movies. I feel like a lot of Netflix original movies just have, like, a look to them where they're still kind of, like, maybe made for, you know, direct-to-video movies, but not. It's kind of hard to explain, but... His house really blew me away, to be honest. Like, I am ready to worship at the feet of Remy Weeks just after seeing this horror movie. You know, horror, thriller, drama. Um, but I was totally on board, 100%. Like, I couldn't believe that this was a Netflix original. Um, I have it. I wrote in my review that it, um, I don't know if I'd been excited about a movie, a quote, scary movie like this since Hereditary. They're very different movies, but I got that same like excitement level when I was done watching it. Like this is a really cool reinvigoration of the genre. Um, and obviously I'm a big horror movie fan, so I watched uh, Host and I love that this year. Host was amazing. Yeah, can oh we talk about God. Host? And, Just out in of terms nowhere. of like casting nothing, you know, yeah. casting nothing, but bringing, you know, everything, everything you've already done and made and in terms of the writers, the cast, the directing, and just throwing it all out there. What a genius mm -hmm. result that was. I listened to the Letterboxd uh, podcast on that episode when it came out, and it's just so enjoyable to hear, you know, the scrappy nature of these movies and, you know, everyone kind of knowing each other and they're just kind of winging it a little bit, but like know the kind of points they want to hit. And you get this short, zippy, 56-minute, you know, sort of found footage movie that I loved. I loved it. And it's like, just gone on. It's so exciting to know that um, we have one listener, by the way. Thank you. Absolutely recommend it. And I know it's it's on Shutter, and it's great. It's getting some distribution. So hopefully 
people try Shutter to watch it, or maybe it lands in some other areas in the future. But you know, that's another thing where you just see the creativity in some of these small mini projects, and it's just exciting. It's like invigorating when you see a movie like that. You're like, oh, this is why I like you know seeking out new stuff. This is why I go through the two two stars or the one star <laughs> yeah. to find this like gem. I've been thinking about Jed Shepard a lot over the last few days. He's you know one of the producers, one of the writers, and uh, of host because he's a longtime Letterbox member, and I just I keep thinking as the year in review approaches. Where on the where on the best films of the year and the best horrors of the year is host going to end up, and what's that going to be like for mm. for a filmmaker who's such a deep part of this community? And I'm excited. Yeah, I can't even I can't even tell you what it's going to be because we calculate the ratings right up until midnight on the 31st. <laughs> but yeah, I think about you a lot, Jed. <laughs> <laughs> the other, not like that. The other ones are kind of obvious. Like I think it was 2020 wide release, 1917, and Portrait of a Lady on Fire. I saw that in a like a local Ritz theater in Philadelphia with Proto, my co-host. Amazing experience seeing that. And I also like I'll, I'll choose one more from my phase list. I finally was able to track down after a bunch of friends recommended this to us in our 70 millimeter Discord was the movie Possession. You know the horror whatever genre you want to attach to that movie mm -hmm. uh, that's it and it's like impossible to track down you can't just like rent this movie you have to buy a blu-ray so i i did i bought like a 40 dollars blu-ray for possession there was like two copies left 1981 this movie came out sam neill is in it isabella a johnny and this is like the epitome of like a cult movie for me like i had never heard of this movie but anytime i talk to somebody about this movie you're like oh you ain't ready for this movie my friend like, <laughs> you're gonna shit your pants buddy like you don't know anything what you're, what you're going into and it's all true what's gonna happen to us after you oh, stop coming why i have to go i'll follow you like i watched this movie with my wife and a few times we just like turned to each other and just like jaw dropped. Like, what are we watching? Like, I can't believe I just witnessed that in a movie. And it's a movie that we talked about for like 20 minutes after we saw it. So now we have this Blu-ray. Proto has watched it. I sent it to him. He's sending it to Danny, our other coast, And we're going to send it to like other members in our Discord so that we can all like traveling sisterhood of the pants uh move with the blu-ray um so it's exciting like and it's it's kind of fun that like that's how you have to get your friends to see a movie you have to like ship them the movie it's pretty old school but all in all pretty good yeah. year for for my faves list i think that's pretty fantastic and i'd just like to back that up by saying i think the award for my favorite celebrity on the internet during lockdown is sam neill actually <laughs> i just adored his contributions to our our daily, um, you know, mind fuckery, really. His, <laughs> his ukulele ditties, his weird short films that he created with all kinds of people, including Helena Bonham Carter. Did you watch any of them? I've, I've seen his Twitter. He's, he's an active Twitter user. So what I've seen on there is just, I mean, anything around Jurassic Park, too. That's when he pops back up in my feed. People get so excited when Sam Neill's doing anything. I know. So there was a point there where he went off to you know, try and finish the new Jurassic World. And he and Jeff Goldblum started doing duets together, which was nice. But but the short films he was making when he was in lockdown in Australia mm. with his famous mates, and and they would film them in their own houses, but edit it together as if they're all in the same house. So <laughs> at one point he's in a bath with Hugo Weaving and they're filming each other. You know, it's like, it's like they're talking to each other, but they're two different baths. It's amazing. But, you know, it's genius. And now he's back in New Zealand 
and back on the vineyard and um, back in the land of his beautiful animals who are all named after his famous friends. And so there's a bit of there's a bit of sort of pastoral Christmas going on in Sam's feed now. I just feel like he's been my like when it's when it's all started to feel a little bit too much, I just go and find out what Sam's talking about on the internet and then I feel better. He's been so kind. I like that with um, Anthony Hopkins, who's been posting videos of him playing piano with his cat. And it's like the the most wholesome, like I get a bit teary-eyed thinking about it because it's just so, so sweet to me. And it's the same with Sam Neill. Whenever he posts his his pigs and his dogs, I get so like, it just makes me really happy when celebrities like care about their animals. And another one from, I think it was from this year, was Mark Ruffalo got a kitten called Biscotti and he was posting (laughs) videos of him with biscotti and i was just like this is the content i crave during lockdown (laughs) like all i want to know is how everyone's pets are (laughs) yeah if 2020 has done one wonderful thing it's to it's to show us our most beloved famous celebrities with no makeup you know Mm. no no hair done no fancy outfits just at home with their animals and their people another one like january jones's instagram game has been like off the chain uh and i don't know like what she's going through but i love it like she's been making short films with like her her dolls of her characters recently <laughs> she's just been going like crazy but in like a good way she's clearly having fun and like doesn't really care what anyone thinks and i love that i love that for her i i'm I kind of be sad when she goes back to work yeah i what i don't love for me right now is this this other classic part of 2020 which is podcasting from home and a neighbor has i don't know if you can hear this but a neighbor has just started up some kind of weed cutting machine so anyway <laughs> apologies apologies for that hannah bring yeah. it in i've been doing a lot more kind of like trying to fill in some gaps this year i'm also in the process of writing a book so i can't talk about that but i've been re-watching a couple of films very obsessively so it looks like i haven't watched many films but i have just kind of watched a few films over and over again for that but I've seen some really good stuff I mean in terms of 2020 releases I really love the film Minari which I think is probably going to get a wide release next year I saw it at Sundance I cried all the way through at the end Stephen Yeun and the director Lee Isaac Chung got up to do a Q&A and I was like two rows in the front and I had to like kind of hide my head because I was like so like so emotional <laughs> um but yeah I think it's a really beautiful film um a kind of a story about a Korean American family who moved from uh, California to a farm in rural Arkansas, and it features the best child actor I've ever seen. He's called Alan Kim. He's the most adorable thing in the world, and yeah, I think people are going to kind of go crazy for that when it comes out. It's a really beautiful film, and Promising Young Woman, which was another big, big hitter from Sundance, uh, which I really loved i was kind of one of its most vocal champions back at the festival really sad it got delayed but really happy it's kind of gonna i think it's coming out on christmas in the states and then february i want to say in the uk Uh, so that's definitely like best one of the best uses of paris hilton's music i've ever seen in a film (laughs) there aren't many but um you know I, i really like really really love that film and i hope a lot of people are gonna feel the same way and then I'll go for another 2020 and then two old watches that I really liked as well. So Baby Teeth by Shannon Murphy, another like one that blew me away. I was 
all three of these films, I'm like, oh yeah, I loved it. I cried. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I judge yeah. a film is good, apparently. But yeah, another like an amazing film by uh, an Australian filmmaker based, I believe, on a play that she wrote. Not the director. The director's done a lot of TV. She had worked on Killing Eve. Ah, of which, course. Yeah, so she, she's she got game from Killing Eve, but the writer wrote the play yes. and the director of the play. <laughs> and actually, one of the reasons I love that movie the most, and we were talking a bit about Gerard Butler and where different actors go and Ben Mendelsohn to me has always been this kind of quirky indie weirdo and then he went offshore from Australia and became the bad guy in a lot of things and and Baby Teeth feels like the rest of the world getting to see the Ben Mendelsohn that we antibodyans know and love. I just adore him in this film. I can drop you at home after this Moses. Oh no, I I don't want to put you out. No trouble. I can do it after I drop me low at school. Hey, Moses, I don't know if you make a habit of this or not, that is, befriending girls that are significantly younger than yourself, but Miller's in a very vulnerable situation. Damn! He's so sweet in it, and he, he, you know, he's playing like a, just a, just a dad, you know, like a really like caring, like worried dad. And I, I think he's, he's, I mean, the whole cast are amazing in it. Uh, Etty Davis and Eliza Scanlon, um, you know, everyone is kind of bringing their A game and it's a really special film. And I, I really would really recommend it to anyone. I think it's already out in the States and I imagine in Australia and uh, the UK on demand. So yeah, I, again, like, definitely one of the best things i've seen i'm super excited to see where shannon murphy goes a soundtrack is incredible so many like i discovered so many artists just from like hearing a song in that film and loving it so highly recommend that and then well one that was new to me and one that i rewatched. so new to me uh the straight story by david lynch which i'd never seen before and <laughs> was profoundly like very emotional about this this old man going to visit his brother on a lawnmower, which is that's literally all the film is, and it's a it's very made. it's so good, and it's just a really beautiful, simple story about a a guy who finds out his brother is uh, ill and wants to go and visit, but he. <laughs> He hasn't got a driving license um, because he can't see, I guess. Like, so he decides to set off on his lawnmower, to, his ride on mower, to go and visit him. And it's just about who he meets along the way. And it's just a really like poignant, really simple story, really well told. And very, in a way, very un-David Lynch. It's like not like anything else in his filmography. You think you, I think people associate him so typically with like, you know, a Razorhead or Twin Peaks and the very weird stuff. But this is, I mean, it is the straight story. <laughs> it's just, it's, it's exactly what it says in the description. And I loved it. I think it's such a, such a sweet movie about family and about the kind of the weirdness of America and the kind of beauty of these like fleeting relationships. There's so many moments where he meets someone and they help him out and then they just kind of part and go on their go on with their lives and I yeah I was really kind of blown away by it and then my final one which is a a banger but a a classic is um Steven Soderbergh's Ocean's Eleven everyone was talking about Contagion but I rewatched the Ocean's film and incredible films like I just pure like comfort viewing there like the uh, the end of Ocean's Eleven where they all go they're all stood outside um the casino and Claire de Lune plays and they're looking at the fountain just 
uh, I just it, it really like it makes me so happy inside and you know I I again if you've not seen it go and watch it if you've seen it watch it again just great movie really like if I'm stressed out that is what I will go to now Ocean's Eleven <laughs> any ocean I love it <laughs> For me, I had some really, uh, I had some really beautiful moments, and I'm sure a lot of people found the same thing around movies that movies that recreated the things that we haven't been able to do ourselves this year. So, my sort of side by side absolute five bangers: uh, Steve McQueen's Lovers Rock and Spike Lee's David Byrne's American Utopia. Mm. And it's just that that beautiful: Am I dancing or am I crying? Am I crying or am I dancing? <laughs> I'm doing both. I'm doing both, and it's totally fine. Just that feeling that both films give of of being in the room, just being in the room with people and the heat, the the sort of magical human heat of bodies mm-hmm. in one room together. Yeah, totally. Both both high up there, and then and then another two films for me that exist in the same universe in a in ways that people may not expect are um, Kelly Reichardt's First Cow. <laughs> And then uh, an Estonian stop-motion claymation weird film called The Old Man Movie. Did anybody catch that oh. at a Fantastic Fest or Fantasia Festival? It is. No, I want to watch this, though. It sounds great. It is wild. <laughs> it is wild and it's extraordinary. And I think they both sort of win the award for uh, Best Representation of, uh, of Milk in Movies <laughs> of 2020. <laughs> Um, and uh, finally, it's and it's coming out very soon. Um, I mean, I'll talk about wolf walkers till the cows come home. Uh, there's the cows again, but um, I don't need to. Uh, it's just amazing. But coming out very soon, and uh, interesting letterbox reactions. There are one star haters. I think partly because of the original co-writer, and there's good reason for that. And then there are five star lovers like me, and it's Roseanne Liang's absolute genre tiff midnight madness winner shadow in the cloud uh, starring chloe grace moretz as a pilot on a secret mission who is sent into the uh, the gun the gun turret the ball underneath a, a b-52 bomber plane over the south pacific in world war ii and there are gremlins and a lot of other insane things happen and it's a shitload of fun and absolutely should be seen at a sold out screening in a midnight cinema with a whole lot of girlfriends. And I just, I just, I just, there's nothing I didn't love about it. It is, it is wild and screamingly funny and unfortunately tainted by, yeah, its original co writer. Oh. Yeah, the least said about that, the better. Looked, I'd never actually even heard of this movie. It looks, it looks like a delight. Ah, it's loads of fun. And I would highly recommend as well, like if you are a bit skeptical, because I was going into it knowing the kind of backstory. Um, Roseanne's like talked about it a lot and kind of, the the journey they went on after uh, Max Sanders left the film, so I definitely would recommend that they people read her kind of interviews and perspective before making a decision, because she's been through a lot lesser <laughs> to get this film made, and mm-hmm. um, you know we were talking earlier about how much it takes to just get a movie made, and I think um, as a female director, as a director of color, it's even harder. So more power to her for getting it out there. So requesting permission to fire on an enemy attacker. You wouldn't even know how to fire a gun. I was being polite. She hit him. She was right. Who the hell are you, Miss Garrett? What a, a I think a beautiful note to 
end this chat on it is yeah people i mean every movie is a miracle right every movie is a miracle well you know like we 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 discussed this but every movie is someone's favorite movie i think like there are some people out there who i imagine are completely insighted from all the discourse around cats and genuinely love the movie for what it is and i like that i think it would be boring if everyone's favorite films are exactly the same so you know i think everyone should just be proud to love what they love and ready to fight for it and it would be a nicer place if we could all be a little bit more willing to have conversations and friendly discourse <laughs> can we get that on a letterbox shirt on the uh, storefront? <laughs> in big font that's a beautiful thing slim hannah tim uh incredibly grateful for your time may santa bring you vaccines for christmas <laughs> <laughs> thank you thanks The Letterbox Show is recorded in Philadelphia, Sheffield and Auckland and edited by Tony Stamp. The theme tune is Vampiros Danzo Tech by Monica. Our podcast artwork is by Anne Davenport and links for all the films we've mentioned are in the podcast description. Our Letterbox Year in Review is just around the corner. Feel free to leave us a voice message at letterbox.show about the 2020 film that you loved the most. Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy New Year. And remember, when the dawn comes, 2020 will be a memory too, and a new day will begin. I give you the marvelous, magical, Mr. Mistopheles!